There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's the fighting. It's the fighting. Clock. It's the fighting. Welcome, listeners, to another episode of The Fighting Cock, The Extra Inch. I still say The Fighting Cock, but we've kind of broken free now, haven't we, Nath? I'm Wendy, and I'm joined by our tactics guy, Nathan A. Clark. All right, mate. How are you doing, Nathan? Yeah, yeah, I'm not too bad. Yourself? I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. We're going to talk a bit about the two England games and and the first round of games in general, or the group games in general, I suppose. Um, but before we begin, I just wanted to say... How sorry I was to hear the, no- the news yesterday about um, Goran Bonjevcevic, um, who sadly passed away at just 45. He's had a stroke in April, which I wasn't even aware of, but apparently was you know, quite widely known. And um, certainly the, the Serbian players had, had spoken about it. Um, I, I realise that now, having read up on it. Um, Bonjevcevic was one of those players who was a little bit before his time. He was signed by Glenn Hoddle, which I think speaks volumes, and he was a ball-playing centre-back. Actually, he was a sweeper, and, and Spurs didn't often, didn't always play with a sweeper. So he didn't quite fit in, um, and he, he broke the mould a little. And I kind of feel like had he played in the Premier League 10 years later, he may have been more of a success. But he always came across as a really good guy, and I'm just so sorry to hear that news. Do you have any memories of uh, Bunyevcevic, Nathan? Sort of just before my time, really. Sort of 06, 07, 08 is, is when I... Started to get into Tottenham, which I've, you've outed me for sort of um, a newcomer now. Thanks, mate. <laughs> that wasn't deliberate. Yeah, he. I mean, he was at Spurs for five years, and he only played fifty games. He ended up having quite a lot of quite a lot of injuries. I think. I think. I think. I'm right in saying he fractured his cheekbone in his first season. Um, that's a vague memory, and I could be getting confused with another player. But yeah, really sad news. Um, so yeah, rest in peace, Goran. We'll talk briefly about transfer news, but this could be super brief because I don't think there really is much to speak about. So there's been one new or fresh link this week that I've seen, which is Alassane Plier, or Plier, Plier, Plier? <laughs> I don't know. No idea. Um, who, who a few days ago was strongly linked, and then today in L'Equipe it's basically a made-up rumour, it seems. I have never seen him play, know very little about him, have watched YouTube videos on the back of hearing about him, and he does seem like a poor man's Anthony Martial. So, right. Um, I, I guess the link implies that we want that type of player. Um, player? <laughs> God. <laughs> Jesus. I'm <laughs> oh, sorry. Um, have you seen any other transfer links? Uh, I really haven't. It's sort of gone all a bit dead. Um, so I, I've looked at... Um, whatever his name, Alassane's numbers, uh, and they're quite impressive. Um, but apparently he's also got a pretty serious knee injury, which we may want to steer, steer clear of. Perhaps that's why the interest is gone or, you know, been backtracked on. Mm. Yeah, I guess maybe if he, if his numbers are good, maybe he's a name that cropped up out of a review of, of numbers and then a bit of deeper digging showed knee problems and, and that would put any club off. So that that would make sense. Are you concerned by the lack of 
um, transfer activity so far? I th- I think that I'm sort of soothed by the World Cup in that I'm not thinking about it. If this was yeah. without a World Cup um, and we were just sitting around twiddling our thumbs, I might sort of be getting a bit anxious. Um, yeah, yeah, I think I'd be going out of my mind, especially because Pochettino did make those comments about wanting to kind of get business done early and, and get players in for pre-season. I think I'm right in saying that pre-season starts again on Monday. Uh, yeah, we've got sort of half our squad coming back. Yeah, and no new signings. So it obviously hasn't quite gone to plan, but... There we go. This is Spurs. What can we expect? Um, so I guess we talk about England now because there's plenty to chat about. Um, let's start in the Belgium game because it's the freshest in the memory. Did you, what, what were your takeaways from the game? It, there's, there, there have been a kind of two schools of thought um, on social media, one of which was neither team wanted to win because losing the game and finishing second in the group was of benefit due to therefore being on the easier side of the draw. Easier in inverted commas. Um, the other thought being it was a game that you'd expect when pl- when teams make mass changes and, and therefore momentum is lost to some degree. Did you have any particular thoughts, Nathan? Well, I sort of wrote beforehand, <clears throat> sorry, I wrote beforehand that um, I, I couldn't see England, I didn't see most teams taking the approach of liberally aiming for second. And I certainly didn't expect that from England, who are sort of um, quite traditionalist in how we approach football as a nation. Um, so I was surprised. I won't say, uh, impressed, but maybe a tad pleased that we took such a, a cynical approach and made those, what was it, eight or nine changes, um, eight changes that, that sort of threw the game in that direction, at least. Yeah, I, I think I was surprised as well, to be honest. I was expecting some rotation, but not kind of spurs in the League Cup third round rotation it it seemed excessive to me um you're you're pleased that we did it and we finished second I'm in the other camp I actually feel like we should have gone out to win this game to maintain momentum I feel like momentum in tournaments is absolutely huge and although the argument is that it's different players and therefore the momentum won't have been lost I think the whole discussion around England has changed now and Southgate's invited pressure onto himself because if we don't beat Colombia Suddenly, people are saying, "Well, you, you know, you you could have won that game against Belgium, and we could be playing Japan, which is on paper a lot easier uh, than than a Colombia tie. You know, they have one of the best players in the tournament, or possibly, given he he seems to be injured. Um, but it was a strange game in many ways. Regardless, it was a very stodgy kind of midfieldy game, and I felt like England didn't get the ball out wide as early as we had in our previous two matches, um, and and perhaps that's partly due to, to Belgium's style and the fact that they're simply a better team than Tunisia and Panama. Um, I mean, they dominated the ball, as you'd expect, with Moussa Dembele in midfield. Oh, and by the way, Dembele came out with a 98.5% pass completion rate, which is just incredible. How did he look to you? How was his? How, how, how did you see his whole game? He was very conservative with his use of the ball, but that was effective. And to be honest, the job he did required him to be conservative and I thought Belgium did enough to justify victory uh, it was, it was, if you look at the XG it was a very the numbers are low so 0.6 for England 1.0 for Belgium according to Michael Cayley's model so not a, not a game of great chances and Yenazai's shot was you know wonderful goal very low XG on that and it's not kind of that that is the moment of magic that brought the game to life in as the cliche would say but Belgium did have a couple of other opportunities as well did you notice uh Mishi incident after the goal I did that was um 
And it's very funny. Absolutely incredible. Um, so if you haven't seen it, after Yanazai's strike, after he killed the ball beyond Pickford, <laughs> Bashiwai went to blast the ball into the side of a net and misjudged it, smashed it onto the post, it ricocheted and hit him in the face. <laughs> Just amazing. I think it's um, the perfect metaphor for signing for Chelsea. Yeah, it really was. <laughs> it was incredible. Um he went straight onto Twitter afterwards, as he as he does. He's got a, a strong social media presence, and he he laughed at himself. So it was it was all fine, um, but very very amusing. Um, what do you think of Pickford for the goal? Uh, I, I will um, defer to David Priest, and that the the criticism has been overblown. I thought the criticism had been overblown as well. What did what did David Priest have to say? Uh, well, he was more. I, I haven't read it fully. I sort of glanced at it. He was more concerned with the specifics of um, him using the wrong hand in, in quotation marks, and used it as a vehicle to sort of um, worry about the general level of goalkeeping analysis. So maybe he wasn't absolving Pickford of blame, but more worried about the specific way it was being done. Yeah, I think that's that's fair. So. Lee Dixon was um, quick to sort of pile in on Pickford. I think Gary Neville also said something about wrong hand. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm not a goalkeeping expert by any. I mean, I'm, many would say I'm not a football expert, <laughs> um, but I certainly am not a goalkeeping expert, so I wouldn't like to cast judgment either way. But to suggest it was the wrong hand to me seemed like a bit blamey, a bit unnecessarily blamey. I think it was a difficult shot that he was probably not going to save, regardless of which hand he went with. And actually, if we're looking to point the finger at anyone it's Danny Rose for letting Yanazai come inside and say strong foot Rose, Rose should know Yanazai well because he's, he's a Premier League player I do think that Delph sort of moved too far over as well and, and left it as a one-on-one situation I'm not absolving Danny Rose but I think that then to, to, to for the team to create the, the 1v1 situation was the initial failure Yes, absolutely. I totally agree. Um, with two of them there, they could have done more to stop a shot coming in. Um, so it was interesting, given that we made these kind of eight rotations as such, that the three players, in my opinion, closest to staking a claim for the first team, I thought were three of our poorer players um, in Rose, Rashford and Loftus-Cheek. Rose primarily for the goal, but I thought also sometimes his decision-making ended up with him one-on-one and having to do something clever, whereas he didn't necessarily use his teammates around him as well as Young had, although you know, I'm no great Ashley Young fan. Uh, Rashford, I thought, constantly made bad decisions and his finishing was poor. And Loftus-Cheek seemed to be very loose in the middle of the pitch on this occasion, having looked good when he'd come off the bench previously. Um, any comment on any of those three, Nathan? Just that I'm... A tiny bit glad that Rashford had a bad performance because um, I really want us to stick with Sterling because I think he's the second best player in the squad and he's someone who, as a nation, we need to nurture more to get the best out of him. Um, so I'm, I'm glad that his replacement isn't likely to take his place. Mm, mm. Yeah, I totally agree. There's been a lot of clamouring for Rashford to play and I, re- I, I really like Rashford as a player. I think he has enormous potential but he's still very rough around the edges and to expect him to start in um, certainly in, in knockout rounds of the World Cup he's expecting a hell of a lot I think he's a great bench option right now and like you say Sterling's the much more polished player much more complete he's got that wonderful close control in, t- in tight spaces and burst of acceleration so I'm glad like you that, that Rashford's probably wasted his opportunity and that, that Sterling will surely be back in um, I felt generally that Belgium kept us at arm's length for the majority of the game and I also thought that we sort of lacked creativity in the central midfield and I would 
even go as far as to say that we also lacked that against Panama. I know that sounds crazy having scored six. Um, but I, I felt like Delhi in the first game gave us some, some through ball excitement, certainly in the first half an hour of the first game. And I don't think we've really had that since. And we've been very reliant on individual pieces of magic or just the fact that we've been staying solid, delivering good balls into the box and particularly putting in some excellent set pieces. Um how did you how do you feel about that? What did you make of the Panama game? Yeah, we didn't create a lot from from open play. We, we a lot of it came from set pieces, but it sort of it came in such a big way in that department that we then no longer had the needs to create from open play. So <clears throat> yeah, it was um a, a, one of the oddest sort of was it six ones? Yeah. Um I've seen. So I mean it, it's hard to be critical. But it's also hard to be excited about that performance. Yeah, I, I mean, you were really up on England after the certainly after the Tunisia game. Do you still feel as excited, or is it more that the other teams have done less well than expected? Uh, the excitement might have dissipated, but I'm still I still have a lot of confidence in this England side. I think it's safe to say there's more to come from a number of the players. Um, Kane's really the only one who's left everything out there so far, and five five goals already in uh, his first tournament for England, that puts him level with Jeff Hurst for tournament goals and above Bobby Charlton, Michael Owen, David Beckham. I mean, it's absolutely staggering what he's achieving um, in his career. It's just a marvel. He really is. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Um, I looked briefly at the number of long balls in each of the games because from my perception it seemed that we were looking early for Rashford and Vardy given that their strengths yeah. or, or certainly two of their strengths are running over the top um, beyond defenders and there was a slight upturn so we played 12% long balls against Tunisia 8% of our passes against Panama were long balls and 14% against Belgium were long balls so Clearly, we played much more of a, a short passing game against Panama, up that against Belgium. Um, and again, our passes, our target zone passes, so passing to the final third uh, was 20% against Panama and 25% against Belgium. So that implies to me that there was a deliberate tactic to look early for uh, Valdi and for Rashford. With that in mind, I personally don't think that Dyer, Delph and Loftus-Cheek were the right picks in midfield. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think I see what you're saying there, and that's sort of a, a control midfield, isn't it? Um, yeah. Yeah, and we were going long over the top of it, which, yeah, it's a mismatch. Um, I take your point. I also think that um, Belgium will have will have forced us to go long as well. They absolutely did. Yeah, they, they they set traps and we fell for them, and that's 
you know, totally to be expected against a, a team in, uh, with as many talented players as Belgium. They were actually surprisingly organised for a Martinez team as well, despite playing Nasser Chadley as wing-back. We had a question from Aaron O'Neill, who is Aaron Spurs 200 on Twitter, who said, Do England carry on with a fully fit Loftus-Cheek, or does a semi-fit Ali come back in for the next game? Personally, I think Ali should come straight back in. He gives England a little unpredictability by producing a moment of magic. Then there's the effect that has on the new season. So he's looking at that from a Spurs perspective as well. Do you have a feeling, Nathan, on who, who should start the next game against Colombia? I I wouldn't want us to to rush Ali back if he's not if he's not fit. I think it, you know it it might be a little arrogant to be looking beyond Colombia, but I think you know just give him another game off if if he's still not 100. percent And I know Loftus Cheek didn't press against Belgium. I thought he was decent against Panama, um, so I would stick with him for for another game if if Delhi's not there. They've really got quite different skill sets as players, and it's interesting that they're sort of being seen as the interchangeable ones because. Delhi is much better at running without the ball, whereas Loftus-Cheek is much better at running with the ball. Um, and, and I personally don't see the same sort of connection between Kane and Loftus-Cheek as you as you would naturally see and expect from Kane and Delhi, where it's it's clearly there. I mean, they 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 read each other's games really well. Um, so yeah, I'm quite quite surprised they're being seen as totally interchangeable. But I guess he's just the next best attacking midfielder we have. But do you think there's any chance that we actually change things up and go Dyer and Henderson against Colombia? No, I think if we do switch to back to a 3-4-3 that England have used before, um, it will be with Loftus-Cheek as the central midfielder. Just for that bit more dynamism. I actually felt Dyer had a poor game last night. I thought um, he was one of the few um, of the uh, who really didn't look up to it um, I don't know if that's just because he maybe maybe a few games ha- having not played for a while he just looked a bit rusty but he looked well down on Henderson's performance levels in my opinion um, whereas before the tournament I would have said I'm all for Dyer playing ahead of Henderson it's it's a weird one because um, in the 2016 Euros I thought Dyer was actually really really good despite how poor England were as a team mm. Um and so I was think, looking at that long term, thinking, wow, he's going to be England's defensive midfielder for, for years to come. Um, but it's very hard to argue that at the moment, isn't it? It really is, yeah. Yeah, and Henderson's played well so far. So, I mean, that, that's that's great from England's perspective, but not so good from Eric Dyer's perspective. And I sort of struggle to see how he gets back into the team as a, as a mainstay if Henderson, if we keep playing this formation and if Henderson keeps playing um, as well as he has been. Um, so talking about other teams as well, let's, let's move on and chat about the last 16 generally. Um, John on Twitter said, we now know the last 16 and the route they will take. What will the semi-final line-up be? Have you have you plotted this yet, Nathan? I'm just having a look now. Uh, so I think we're going to have France, Brazil, and England, Spain, mm. or Colombia, Spain. Yeah, uh, yeah. I I can actually see Uruguay scraping through. They've been very patchy. Yep. But they have got some incredible players. Um, certainly their front line. But I I, I actually have been really impressed with. Their backline as well. Um, Coates has looked great, which I wasn't expecting. Um, so I'll go Uruguay, Brazil, Spain. I think will will beat Russia and then probably Croatia. Um, I think we might lose to Colombia, and if we beat Colombia, I could see <laughs> I could see us losing to Sweden. Oh God! Yeah, I, I've Sweden have been so 
solid. I mean, it's not pretty to watch, but they get the job done. Um, I don't know. I, I just have lost a bit of confidence in England after the Belgian game um, and partly after the Panama. The sort of the lack of open play creativity in the Panama game. Obviously, the scoreline was amazing. It was a great occasion. I loved celebrating every goal. Um, thoroughly enjoyed it. But my early optimism has dissipated somewhat. Um, but having said that, this World Cup's been amazing. I've really enjoyed this tournament. There's been so much drama. Um, and we ought to speak about the Germany game, really. What did you make of that? Uh, I think Germany were a little unlucky, not just in that game, but throughout the three games they played, not to convert more goals. But defensively, they, they've been not quite a shambles, but, but very um, weak all tournament. Their, their goal creation or their chance creation has been very sort of cross heavy though hasn't it like basically it's just getting on the end of crosses and, and forcing things in whereas the German teams we've become accustomed to seeing have been much more creative much more uh, well you know round Deuter to, to Thomas Muller um, just hasn't been invading space like he used to and, and that's in my opinion had quite a large bearing on the way they've played I think also some of their personnel selections in other areas haven't haven't been great but um it's also very easy to say they should have selected Sane. Did I say the right one? You did this time. I did say. I really had to think about that. <laughs> oh my God, it's so ridiculous. Um, the, the the sort of exclusion of Sane and people are now saying, there you go, they would have qualified were it for that. I'm, I, I'm not sure I fully agree with that. It's been the balance in midfield as much as anything, but that was such a dramatic game and wonderful that Kim Win Son scored the, the ultimate winning goal uh, in, in the manner he did. A meme, meme-worthy manner. It's very, very Korean commentary. Um, I think on the Sane argument, um, it's, it's certainly easy to say, oh, well, they didn't bring good attacking player um, and they should have done. I think um, one thing that Germany might need to, or want to look at doing in the near future is <clears throat> switching to inverted fullbacks in sort of the style of, of City and Bayern Munich before that that we've seen. Um, and for that, you're going to want sort of more outside wingers which I think is the reason that Sane was excluded is that he didn't perform well in the friendlies where for Germany where he's asked to play inside and that's not suited him but they might now want to change that style up and move to outside wingers so uh, there is a lens that you can look at Sane's exclusion and, and see it as a problem. Yeah I think that's a fair point I don't think Germany need to worry personally I mean they have a lot of young talent uh, to, to pick from so I, d- I don't think they've got any long term concerns but I think they probably will change manager and, and that'll be obviously that will then require a new bedding in period of a new manager a new system etc etc so they might sh- go backwards in the short term um, which is no bad thing um, let's talk a little bit about the Poland-Japan match as well so Terry of Destiny said and his Twitter handle is cannot cope which is pretty good did well to get that one uh, he said, thoughts on the Poland-Japan kick-around, professional courtesy from Poland, Poland just didn't care, or shades of Austria-Germany 1982. I didn't actually see this one, did you, Nathan? I, I saw sort of a clip of the final couple of minutes. I think that's what he's pointing towards, particularly. Um, yeah, I mean, the the individual teams have taken a lot of the blame. Um, uh, I've seen some, some pretty serious hit pieces from major outlets, but I think that... Um, this isn't the first time we've seen a game of this sort. It isn't the, the third or fifth time we've seen it either. Um, 
So the issue is with the setup and with the rules <clears throat> and with the process and not with the individual teams. And that's where the blame needs to lie for that, I think. Interesting. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, like you, I saw that the clip of Japan just passing the ball. Under no side pressure. To side to side to side to side, under no pressure, yeah. And it's kind of embarrassing, but like you say, it's, they're doing what... They're, they're filling a space that's been given to them, essentially. Um, let's talk a bit about some of the other teams who've made it through to the round of 16 as well. We've picked on the big ones, but the, this tournament's been one of upsets, really, and some of the smaller teams um, showing that they shouldn't be written off. And I think one of the teams who's done particularly well in that regard in Mexico... I feel sorry for them they've got Brazil in the round of 16 because I feel like they deserve to go further. Um, do you think they'll give Brazil a tough match? <clears throat> I think they might be Brazil's toughest match, at least to the semis. Um, yeah, I'm, I think that that is the game of the last 16 or has the capacity to be the game of the last 16. I think Mexico are a really interesting counter-attack team as we saw against Germany. Um, and they'll set up sensibly against Brazil, who um, are individually very good, are defensively very good. They're good in their counter-press, but they're not very creative in a systemic sense. And I think I think it could be a close one for Brazil. I, I still have them favourites, maybe second or, or first favourites overall, but I think that would be a very tough game for them. They're doing the classic tournament thing of starting slowly and, and gathering momentum, I think. Um, they see. I think Marcelo might be injured for the Mexico game, and I think that will be a big loss. That we pointed out that that left side, that group of players on their left side, is their strongest area of the pitch with Coutinho, Neymar, and Marcelo. Um, and without Marcelo making those overlapping runs, there's a lot of thrust gone. And Neymar's been a slightly disappointing so far. He's certainly not hit the ground running, but Coutinho's been exceptional. He's really impressed me. I think he's come on a level since uh, he left Liverpool actually he's, he's someone who I thought was was good but not great I was I was surprised when he signed for Barcelona and I thought they should have signed Ericsson instead I thought he's better but Coutinho looks really good um, and kind of looks like their main man at the moment although obviously I'm overlooking Paulinho there <laughs> clearly their main man um, but speaking of main men we've got Luka Modric against Christian Eriksen as Croatia line up against Denmark Battle of Spurs' current number 10 against previous... I was going to say number 10, but not 8 for Spurs, really, wasn't he? Um, have you been impressed with Modric so far in the tournament? Yeah, I've been impressed with Croatia generally. Um, I I wanted to see more Govacic. I think he played in the last game, which I missed. Um, but yeah, they've, they've, they've got so much talent and, and similar talent in Modric, Govacic and Rakitic. Um, it's, 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 it's strange, but they've been good to watch. And who do you think is going to win that one? I see that as one of the tightest games of the um, final 16. Uh, I, I think Croatia will have too much of Denmark. I don't think they, they can stand up to them defensively. Mm. Yeah, I tend to agree. Although when Eriksen's on the pitch, anything's possible. And I kind of want, I'm, I'm kind of backing them for, for Eriksen, really. Um, yeah, we've got another question from uh, Ball Control at Ball Control Blog. He said, would you consider Southgate a viable option if the worst was to happen, i.e. Poch leaves? The philosophy is similar and he appears to have a good rapport with Harry. You're a fan of Southgate, Nathan. What, how, do you, how would you feel about that? Uh, yeah, I am a fan. Uh, Trunk asked me the same question the other day on Twitter. Um, mm. he, he does play um, sort of a similar style. He does have a good relationship with Harry, although maybe not the best relationship with Delhi. Um, I would probably consider him at the moment. I think he would be in the sort of first five or six picks that you'd be looking at. Um, but I, I would want to see a little more. I think, I think that 
Um, the Columbia game is a good test to get a, a real grasp on Southgate. I think after that game, we'll know for sure if he's a very good manager or not. There's a, certainly a lot to like about him in terms of a future Spurs manager. Um, he's obviously got an interest in, in youth development, as has Daniel Levy, having spent millions of pounds on an academy. So that's one box ticks. He's very statesmanlike. He's he's a company man. He will toe the party line, um, which Levy will absolutely appreciate. I'd say he's slightly more pragmatic than Pochettino in his style, and it's a pragmatism which wouldn't always go down well with Spurs fans, I think. So perhaps there's a bit of flair that needs to, to be eked out before we can um, see him as, as Spurs manager. But yeah, I mean, there's a lot, of, there's a lot to like there. Um, and like you say, the, the rapport with, with Harry is great. Rapport with Delhi seems to be less so. Uh, there was the incident where he kind of called him out for messing about on the bench uh, in a friendly. Uh, whether that's a problem, I don't know. M- maybe it's a message that's ultimately worked because he was back in the in the first choice starting eleven for the first World Cup match. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, it's going to be hard to replace Pochettino with anyone. Let's face it; he's just incredible. But Southgate's not a bad shout. Is there anything else you'd like to cover, Nate, that we haven't spoken about? Uh, no, I think that's it. We've done we've done a good job, a little round up there, and we'll be back at some point, probably after the Columbia game, to talk about that match. Thanks for listening. Hope you've enjoyed it. Enjoy the round of sixteen, and we'll be back soon. It's the fighting clock. It's the fighting. It's the fighting clock. Oh, that was really interesting, mate. Yeah. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.